uh, do you love March Madness? Is college football your thing? Well, this week the Supreme Court unanimously ruled south of the border that the NCAA, the National Collegiate Athletic Association, which is a nonprofit organization that regulates student athletics, could not bar modest payments to student athletes. The decision, it's the decision that has underscored a growing challenge to the college sports system, and that system generates huge, huge sums of money for schools but provides little or often no compensation whatsoever to the players. Now, the decision will open the door for future legal challenges, and it could deal a much more significant blow to the NCAA's current business model. Now, the ruling means that the NCAA can't place any limits on education-related benefits for athletes like laptops, tutoring, study abroad programs. But if you thought the ruling opened up the floodgates for student-athlete compensation and big dollars, you would be wrong. Kelsey Trainer is a lawyer, producer, and a writer specializing in collegiate athletics and equality in sports. Welcome to the program. What's your top-line takeaway from the decision? Uh, hi, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, my top-line takeaway is that while this decision by the Supreme Court in the NCAA versus Alston um, does have a very small effect in the now, um, I think that the court, by you know it being a unanimous nine to zero decision, and by Justice Kavanaugh's uh, concurring decision, I think the court is uh, doing a very good job of telling where they uh, think the, the future is, um, and I think the future is that the NCAA model is completely falling apart. What do you see as the model that would replace what we have now, where student-athletes are compensated with a, with a salary? Of, how would that work? The first thing that's going to be up on the radar, and it's, it's already happening to an extent, is going to be name, image, and likeness, uh, also referred to as NIL. Um, and that's basically where athletes, student athletes, can make money off of their name, image, and likeness, like any other student um, who is getting an education. So I think that's going to be the first thing that we see. You know, there's a number of states that have already passed their own state laws, um, and obviously state laws would uh, preempt anything that the, the NCAA says. Um, we're also seeing, you know, that there's been testimony before Congress of a of a uh, national law um, relating to name, image, and likeness. So I think that's going to be the first step. And that is totally different from, you know, actually paying uh, college athletes to pay to play sports. Um, but it, again, it's something that I think that can open the door um, to compensating these athletes for their labor. Can we back up just one moment and just talk about the money that is at stake here, the kind of money that is being made by uh, the colleges from something like March Madness? You know, the NCAA's current broadcast contract for March Madness um, is worth $1.1 billion U.S. billion annually. Uh, commissioners of the top conferences take home between 2 and $5 million a year. Um, so the money is just astronomical. And that was a really important part of this decision by the Supreme Court. Um, the NCAA, for a very long time, has relied on a case from the 1980s, uh, the NCAA versus the Board of Regents. And that case basically gave the NCAA um, the ability 
to remain, uh, keep their laws and, and, and have everything continue to be um, promoting like competitive equity and to distinguish college athletes from professional sports. And the court, in this case, Justice Gorsuch, Gorsuch said that the market has changed so much since that case. So clearly the case law is going to change. And that's what we've seen. The money is just astronomical. Um, and, you know, these universities and the NCAA are getting absolutely rich off of it, while, you know, the athletes themselves um, sometimes struggle to eat. So a potential change on name and image, that is not going to remove any money from the pockets of the colleges. Do you foresee a time when there would be more of a revenue sharing of the actual money that's coming in from things like broadcast rights? Uh, that's, that is potential. I think that's something that is way down the line. I think that there is an interesting point to be made that, you know, if I'm a brand and I see the value in a particular athlete um, more than the value of a college or university, I think there might be some cases where, you know, some brands opt to go with a particular athlete, invest more money in them. Um, as opposed to the university uh, and the, the college program themselves, because at the end of the day, the college program, you know, ends after, you know, potentially four years of playing, whereas this athlete can go on to play professional sports. And, and there's a lot of money in that as well. Do we need to rethink amateur sports? You know, especially when you start talking about college football or college basketball, is it really amateur sport? No, I, quite frankly, it's not. And I think that, you know, Justice Kavanaugh, I think, had the most telling, he had a concurring opinion. Um, and he basically said, you know, a number of quotes that were, you know, the NCAA is not ab above the law. The NCAA's business model would be flatly illegal in almost any other industry. And that price fixing labor is price fixing labor. Um, so I think the, the amateurism model is being totally broken down for what it is, especially when you have the enormous amount of money um, involved in college athletics. You know, it, it's really, it's a hard, hard argument to make anymore. The NCAA obviously does it all the time, but it's a really hard argument to make that there is a difference between, you know, college sports, aka amateurism, and professional sports. Do you see this extending um, to the Olympic movement? You know, it's, it's hard to say just because the structures are, are so different. Um, you know, with the NCAA, you, you know, really particularly have, um, you know, federal U.S. antitrust law, where with the Olympic movement and amateurism, you know, that is uh, countries all over the world and, and kind of different rules there. But um, I think that amateurism in and of itself, the idea of it um, is totally moving in the direction to protect the athlete and to allow the athlete to profit. Um, you know, the NCAA's kind of moniker is that a majority of their athletes go pro in something other than sports, uh, yet the NCAA's rules limit one of the only times in an athlete's career where they would be able to make money off of uh, their sport and their skill in that. So I think that's the trend in the movement that we're seeing is totally in favor of athletes. Is there a danger here because we're, we're talking about we, we would be talking about rewarding elite athletes in sort of the sports that we've been talking about, but there are obviously many other sports and many other 
uh, types of athletics? And do we create weirdly an un, un, uh, even playing field, if you pardon the pun, by letting corporations, for example, directly reward student athletes? I mean, it, it's a fair argument, but I think it, it, it it's based off of the idea that things are fair now, right? And that it just isn't true. You know, you have these elite programs already getting elite benefits from from corporations. Uh, what this does is this just puts more money in the, the pockets of the athlete themselves, you know, the laborer, um, instead of the college or university. Um, so I think it's kind of a red herring argument that is sometimes made. Um, but I think at the end of the day, um, you know, it, it's going to stay uh, money in the pocket of the athlete. Just to, to wrap up a, a final question, I think, you know, so many of us have, you know, during the pandemic, we've really cherished our opportunity to be able to watch sports. And when something comes on, like college athletics, and, you you know, you sit down, you enjoy it. I'm just wondering, from a viewer and a consumer point of view, from the sports fan point of view, how do we look at NCAA, um, whether it's whether it's basketball, football? I mean, just give me a sense of how we should perceive it from a fan standpoint? You know, I think how the NCA has been perceived from a, a fan standpoint in the past is that, you know, education is the first thing and the most important thing for college athletics. Um, what we're seeing and, and what has been the case for the last, you know, few decades is that money rules um, and, and not necessarily the education first. So I think that we need to start seeing these athletes um, as essentially laborers and employees and being able to be paid and compensated uh, for their talent and their skill. They take extreme risks to their physical and mental health uh, by putting on performances for the enjoyment and the entertainment of all of us. Um, and so I don't think there should be really any distinction between college athletics and pro athletics in terms of the entertainment value that, that a fan receives. Kelsey, great to speak to you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Bye. That is Kelsey Trainer, who is a lawyer, producer, and writer. Very interesting what it means for the future of sport and the future of quote-unquote amateur athletics.